Welcome to Buddha at the Gas Pump. My name is Rick Archer, and my guest today is Ken Rinpoche Tsetan, uh, who is abbot of the Tashi Lumpo Monastery in Bailakupe in southern India. And uh, I have managed to connect um, with... Uh, excuse me, sir. How, in addressing you, do I re refer to you as Ken or as Rinpoche? Or w what uh, single word can I use? Yeah. Uh, Rinpoche is better. Rinpoche, okay. And, and I can manage to connect with Rinpoche uh, through my friend Dana Sawyer, whom I interviewed um, about a month ago. Uh, and Dana is actually sitting in the room on this interview uh, in case there's any need for a little bit of help with translation. Uh, and then also Dana is very much involved with Rinpoche's activities, which I'm about to uh, uh, read in a uh, in a little bio that Dana sent to me. So let me read this uh, first. Um, Ken Rinpoche Geshe Kachan Labsang Tsetan is abbot of the Tashi Lumpo Monastery in uh, Bailakupe in southern India. He's a Tibetan Buddhist monk from Ladakh, India, who has lived and taught in the United States for more than 15 years. He began his monastic life at age seven in Stock, his family village. At age 13, he joined the Stock Monastery to study and memorize Buddhist scriptures. In 1952, when he was 16 years old, he walked with his father from Ladakh to Shigatse, Tibet, to enter the famous Tashi Lumpo Monastery. <clears throat> the 800-mile trek took them over two months to complete. Ken Rinpoche Tsetan received his novice monk vows there and studied Buddhist philosophy at the monastery's Shilkong College with many prominent Tibetan scholars. His dream was to receive the Geshe degree in Buddhist philosophy, similar in level to that of the Western PhD. This dream was deferred for him when the Chinese government intensified their policy of cultural genocide on occupied Tibet in 1959. The, the, the daily public humiliation and torture of monks by Chinese officials and the mass destruction of the monasteries and colleges made it impossible to continue the pursuit of this degree in Tibet. He was forced to return to his homeland of Ladakh in 1960. Once back in the village of his birth, he studied tantric practices and joined the school of Buddhist philosophy in Chaglamsar, where he studied for seven years. Due to the fact that the Buddhist tradition in Ladakh is dependent on the Tibetan lineage of teachers to transmit and bestow higher Buddhist degrees, it was necessary for him to leave Ladakh again in 1970 in pursuit of the Geshe training. This time he went to Varanasi, India, where many high lamas in exile had resettled and built new monastic colleges. There he received his Shastri degree, the equivalent of a bachelor's. Afterwards, he felt the responsibility to return to Stock and contribute to his community through teaching. From 1974 to 1978, he taught high school in Ladakh. Then he met with a special invitation to come to the United States to teach at the first Tibetan Buddhist Learning Center in America, Labsum Shedrub Ling, in Washington, New Jersey. He went in hopes of learning English and, completed, and completing his Geshe degree studies. He accomplished both, and in 1984, he returned to the De, uh, Drepung Monastery for commencement. Since that time, Ken Rinpoche Tsetan has been living and teaching in, in the U.S. from October to June and returning to Ladakh during the summer months to oversee activities at the Siddhartha School, uh, Chaskor uh, Stock School he founded in 1996. While in the States, he has divided his time between Maine and New York City with additional teaching trips to Amherst, Massachusetts, and other areas of the U.S. 
1996, shortly after founding the Siddhartha School in Stock, His Holiness the Dalai Lama appointed then Geshe Tsetan to, the, to be the abbot of the new Tashi Lumpo Monastery in India. This was a great honor for him and one that he was that he that was humbly set aside so that he could devote himself completely to the Siddhartha school. The Dalai Lama gave his blessings and support. However, in 2005, His Holiness the Dalai Lama again asked Geshe Setan to accept the abbot position, and in July 2005, he was installed as Kenchen or head abbot of the Tashi Lumpo Monastery in in, in Bailakupe in southern India. His title became Ken Rinpoche Geshe Kachin Labsang Setan, and he has resumed his assumed new responsibilities, overseeing the Tashi Lumpo Monastery in exile. Since summer 2005, he has worked ceaselessly to, ceaselessly to fulfill the charge of increasing the number of monks at uh, Tashi Lumpo, the poorest of the Tibetan monasteries in exile, and of raising funds for their support. So, now. Uh, my first question is not going to be as long as what I just read, but it'll be a little bit long, and then after that I won't ask such long ones. But um, here's, here's my first question. Uh, the other night I interviewed a guy who, um, whose main emphasis or focus was that the world is an illusion and that we're all just dreamers in the dream and that there really are no people or human beings, There's, they're just dream characters, and what we really are is, is something other than that. And that all suffering is due to our mistaking ourselves as being real sort of entities as opposed to just dream characters. And uh, he, he got this idea, this philosophy, from ex reading extensively from the books of Wei Wu Wei, who was a, a British... Uh, philosopher who, who studied Buddhism extensively and uh, apparently distilled the whole Buddhist teaching down into what he considered to be its essence and wrote these books. And there, there was something troubling me throughout the whole interview and I didn't quite put my finger on it until towards the end and that was that you know if someone has read some books 50 times over as this guy had with Wei Wei's book one can become very indoctrinated with uh, certain ideas but there's a, a distinction between ideas and experience. And towards the end of this interview, I began to ask the guy, uh, you know, what is your actual experience? I mean, you know, you have a clear understanding of this concept that, may, that maybe the world is illusory and we're all dreamers, but is that your, you know, day-to-day, -day momentary, you know, genuine experience? If you're, if you're going through the supermarket or driving your car, is that your experience or is it just a concept? So, you know, in the, in the Christian tradition, we have, uh, you know, great people who rise to heights of, of administrative authority, let's say, but then we also have the mystics. And ultimately, Buddha's, Buddha was not an administrator. You know, he was a mystic. He was, he was someone who was primarily interested in experience, uh, not in mere ideas. He wanted to really get to the heart of what life was about and live that in an experiential way. So in your own life, I mean, I just spent f uh, five minutes reading uh, a list of all the things you've done and the places you've gone and the schools you've administered and so on. But what I'm really interested in is what has been the, the fruit of all of this study uh, in, in your heart of hearts, in your innermost experience, in the way you perceive and live life from moment to moment. 
But a good question, long question. I told you it was going to be long. <laughs> I don't know if you remember or not. Anyway, uh, you're saying that he's mainly talking about uh, illusion, this, you know, uh, suffering is illusion and uh, life is illusion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to add a little uh, word, another word, one word. Mm-hmm. Now, life and uh, suffering, everything is a lag, is illusion. It's what illusion? Lag illusion. Like an illusion. Like illusion. L i k e. Like an. Like. Okay. Yeah. In other words, it's not an illusion, but it's like an illusion. Is that like what you're saying? An illusion is different. Mm-hmm. Illusion is nothing. Like an illusion, then everything, no, everything has some essence, some exists, no? Yes. If illusion, illusion, then you cannot get a, no, the result, no, cause and effect. Illusion, no? But the, everything like an illusion, but have something uh, essence. Okay? That, that oh. you and me are talking. Mm-hmm. If both of us like it, now illusion, you cannot talk. Both of us like it, illusion. But they, that, uh, doesn't have in, in, in kind of in a, in a inherent existence. Mm-hmm. mean, not have a solid identity, me and you. That's going to be like an illusion. Uh, Dana, would you just clarify what he just said? I, I didn't, I'm not used to his accent yet, and maybe my listeners could use just a little bit of clarification. Yeah, sure. Uh, what, where he's going with that is, is if we say that everything is uh, an illusion in an absolute sense, then there's no sense of doing anything or uh, getting up in the morning. Right. But, but what he's saying is, from, from his perspective, that... Um, Everything exists, but it doesn't, when he says it doesn't have inherent existence, uh, swabhava is the Sanskrit term for that, that it doesn't have, all things in the relative world are relative things, so they're made up of causes and conditions. Mm -hmm. So they exist, but they merely exist. They don't exist in an absolute sense. We'll Mm -hmm. you know, become compost at some point, and... Mm -hmm. All relative things are, are relative, and so that's what he's saying, is that sometimes people project uh, an absolute essence onto themselves. You know, there's a little Rick Archer in the brain of Rick Archer that's running the show, and so what he's saying is that part of things is an illusion. Uh, the, the idea that things have an absolute or inherent existence uh, on the level of the relative, that's that's what Buddhists see as an illusion, that we create a lot of pain for ourselves by projecting characteristics on the relative world that the relative world actually doesn't have. Okay, so another way of saying it might be that, you know, it's not that the world is an illusion, but it's that our perception of it or our, our perspective on it is illusory or mistaken. Yeah, yeah, our own mind can say, <clears throat> created those things. Right. Now, if you added the other qualities, then good or bad, we created, added the qualities, then not able to see the, the true, true nature of the phenomena. That's right. Second. Yeah. So we overlay all sorts of perspectives on, or qualities on things, that, and they were there for obscure or cover over their true nature. 
Right, right, right. Yeah, you've got it there. It's that it's not that things don't exist; it's that they don't exist in the way that we think they do. Right, right. So then, uh, in that sense, enlightenment would be what stripping away all of the false perceptions and and coming to the point where we see the world as it truly is. Right, right. Yeah, the enlightenment which is the, moves all this, get out from all this uh, obscuration called the obscuration obstacles. Mm -hmm. So they come the but enlightenment actually the the we call the seed of the mind. Seed of mind is the enlightenment. Right. The mind itself is in a the nature of the mind is pure, clear, luminous. Mm -hmm. But the illusions cover this in the, the pure mind. Through right. is through pictures you can remove and those are then eventually the mind becomes pure, clean, luminous. That's, that's the main key to practice the, the teachings. Yes. Um, sort of like a movie screen where there's a movie showing on it and it covers up the screen so you can't see the screen anymore. So, you you know, enli yeah, enlightenment might be, a, in that analogy, being able to sort of appreciate the, the non-changing screen even though there's there's movies playing or whatever. Yeah. Uh, now, um, so, you know, this thing that I read described you as having undergone a lot of study in different places. Was that study uh, primarily intellectual, where you're reading a lot of scriptures and discussing them and trying to understand their meaning? Or was there a lot of spiritual practice, such as meditation, which didn't so much involve the intellect? We have to say that on both, and we call the two ways to study. One we call the analytical way. Another with stabilization meditation. Mm -hmm. Analytical way you learn all these sources. You now good, bad, and for instance, what is the anger? What is the cause of anger? How can you remove the anger? This kind of analytical. Anger, yeah. Anger. Mm -hmm. so analytical way you try to find the anger. Anger. Mm -hmm. Once you get this, the sources, the source of the angle, the, the nature of the angle, then you contemplate it. Mm -hmm. Anger. Yes, the anger is just created by my, my mind. Anger doesn't have its own uh, independent, independent nature. Mm -hmm. So then you hold that the anger is changeable. So you can, how can I change the anger? Then you apply law. You know, let, why, why, how do you get angry? You get anger toward your uh, enemy. Right? Mm -hmm. Those who you, you don't like, like an enemy, even the things you don't like, they get angry, you know? Right. That anger created our own mind. Mm -hmm. If there's, let's say you kick your uh, foot on the uh, table, you get angry. Right? That right. anger that the table doesn't have this holding the anger there, no? You are mistakenly, you kick the table, then you get angry because your own fault. What is it that was coming from the table? Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> It reminds me of something I did when I was a little kid. One time my mother was trying to open a mayonnaise jar and she hurt her wrist. And I, was, and I got angry at the mayonnaise jar and I picked it up and smashed it on the floor. So we had glass and mayonnaise all over the place. <laughs> yes, the same thing. 
manager throwing he doesn't solve the problems. <laughs> so she had a, a hurt wrist and a mess all over the floor. Uh, so, for instance, when you were a student uh, and, you know, you would take a particular point like this, for instance, anger. Yeah. Um, so there would be some intellectual study about what, what is the cause of anger, what is the source of anger, how to end anger, and so on and so forth. But, I, but I, as I understand it, you weren't just thinking intellectually, you were doing practices of meditation and perhaps other practices to really root out the, the tendency to even become angry in the first place. Is that yeah. correct? Yeah, 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 yeah. Anger, you, know, you just say, let's say, Ignoring the anger, anger not going to go away. Right, you're just sweeping it under the rug, so to speak. So yeah. therefore, we learn that where the root is coming from. Right. Then the, from the root, you have to dig up, kill away. So then later you don't have to suffer among the the control of anger. Right. What you can do? How can we stop the recognize the anger? Maybe anger coming from ignorance. Mm -hmm. You're not able to see the not the real problems. You hit the hit the you have put uh, the table. You get angry because you are under the control of ignorance. Mm -hmm. Therefore, you get angry. Table, table, table is nothing now. Doesn't have any intention to harm you. Sure. So the our anger is uh, uh, coming. So then, how you practice? Yeah, that's the, my own fault. I'm not really careful. Mm -hmm. Then first of all, you know, I'm, you know, it hurt my foot, you know, kicking, kicking. The second I get angry, the anger, again, mentally I have to suffer. Mm -hmm. So the ignorance caused me to suffer not only physically, mentally. Therefore, mm -hmm. anger not good. What is the best then? Then you apply your love. Right? Yeah. Love, you love, then you don't have any enemy. And so... Um that's sometimes easier said than done for people. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, it's especially it's, it's, it's harder with people than it is with tables uh, because, you know, we, people are much more challenging to deal with. <laughs> so uh, in, in, your own, in the case of your own spiritual practice, what sort of practices would you have done as a, as a, a student, as a monk, to cultivate love as opposed to anger in a particular circumstance or any, any circumstances? More, let's say, for I get angry with you, uh -huh. okay? then I use my tool to knock down your nose. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you need a big tool for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you get angry with me, right? Uh huh. You don't get angry with this uh, tool. Right. Why you don't get angry with the tool? Because you were the one controlling the tool. Oh, that's what we're talking about. How can practice? Now, they, you knew the tool doesn't have any, any control to break my nose. Right. The person. Then same that the person and the tool don't have any, you know, same, the person is same. The person mm -hmm. doesn't have any choice. No. Mm -hmm. he she's under the control of anger or jealousy or attachment, or depression, mm -hmm. or you know, ignorance. Mm -hmm. So real cause, not the person, not the tool. Real cause, his or her ego, or the anger, or ignorance. Mm. That you have learned. Then you learn, oh, this person really become like the tool. 
I'm foolish to get angry with the person. The person, my best friend, he mm -hmm. she giving me great opportunity to practice my patience. Ah. And he is giving, really pointing me. I have a problem, holding mm -hmm. a problem target. And he or she giving me great opportunity to remove. If you don't want to suffer, you know, bother, then you learn how to move away the target. What you holding? Mm -hmm. That message receiving. Then you become more peaceful, calm, understand. Yes, not his or her fault. This is my mm -hmm. own ego problem, my anger problem. Mm. So, wh wh what specifically did you learn or practice that enabled you to do that? In other words, you know, what teaching did were you taught, or what practice did you practice to, you know, to be able to kind of internalize things like that and not put the blame on external people or circumstances. Yeah, one of, Med meditation practice, for instance? Yeah, meditation practice and the study practice. Yeah, one of the Indian master called Shantideva. Mm -hmm. yeah, he said something, something is changeable. You don't have to worry about it. Something is not changeable. Mm -hmm. It's useful of worrying about it. That makes mm -hmm. sense? Yeah. Changeable, you can just change it. You don't have to worry about it. Right. Not changeable. Worrying is getting anger, not going to solve the problem. It's like the alcoholics pledge, if you've ever heard that. Give, give me the what is it? The uh, uh, I, I won't do justice to it, but it's it's being able to deter, to tell the difference between the things you can change and the things you can't, and you know, learning to sort of change the things you can, accept the things you can't, and have the wisdom to know the difference. Yeah. <laughs> in Buddhist case, nothing is you can find which not not able to change. You know. Mm -hmm. You can change, you know. Everything is changeable, like uh, we call the impermanent phenomena are changeable. Mm -hmm. Anger is changeable. Right. Depression is changeable. Crazy things is changeable. But what you need, you have to learn how to, you know, how to apply the integral. Mm -hmm. One level, Rick, uh, he's really saying that practices every minute of every day. Right. Because the meditation on one level is okay, I'm out in the world and there are things that challenge me and there are things that want to solicit my anger or uh, greed or desire or w whichever. They're called clashes, these mm -hmm. afflictive emotions. And so the, the, you have the most to learn from your enemy is what he's trying to say because the enemy is the person that's causing your anger to rise, but it's your own mind that's making the anger and causing you to see that life situation as a problem rather than an opportunity to do practice and find that peaceful center. So on one level, it's a continuous practice every day, but they also do a kind of uh, equanimity uh, kibarime bolie. Yeah, equanimity, you call it like that. We have like a friend, enemy, strangers. Uh, those are doesn't exist other side. Our mind created the enemy, friend, ignorance. Mm. No, uh, strangers. Strangers. Strangers yeah. are people we just have no feeling about one way or the other uh, in this particular way of looking at things. Mm -hmm. So how you created the friend, those who helpful for yourself and for your family, your country, your people, we label them like a friend, right? Mm -hmm. And those who 
not affect you or what you're doing. You know, the opposite way, they criticize you, they yell you, they scold you, then for, to the, for them, we level like an enemy, right? Mm. If you bother me, you know, enemy. And those who are not bothering, not helping, we just ignore them, like, you know, called stranger. So the stranger, the enemy, friends are not there. Our mind created. Right. And now, if, let's say, if uh, they are there, then everyone sees the my enemy, everyone sees the enemy. But his or her other friend see that's the best friend. Yeah. I seem to recall the Dalai Lama having referred to the Chinese as my friend, the enemy. <laughs> this will make clear why he said that. Yeah, the Dalai Lama, no, Dalai Lama doesn't look, doesn't look, he was a Chinese, he's the enemy, but doesn't treat them like an enemy. Right. And from based on what you said a little while ago, he probably sees them as being a evolutionary practice in a way, being being able to sort of deal with them and yet retain patience and compassion and, and his retain his, you know, not lose his humanity even if they are losing theirs. Yeah, yeah. So there one time to do the economy, that you have to give up something, pretty things, when you really become able to look in a, in a equally. What you have to give give toward your friend, we call the, you have to give up the attachment, mm -hmm. the attachment causing between our friend and ourselves. Right. So that not keeps our friend very closely, very not long term. The attachment, some de attachment, desi no, you desire gun, then you don't have that, you know? The friend, reason, you give up the attachment, then your friend become very close and the best friend. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have to worry, you have to give up the friend. The friend become more close, more touchable. Then other side. Would Just be one second. So what he's saying there, right, is, you know, we, uh, that old saying, if you love someone, let them go. Mm -hmm. That he's saying that we don't let go of our friend, but we let go of the kind of attachment to them and dependence on them. That would cause us to hate them if they left us. Uh, that we have to let go of that. That's right. It. Yeah. Then the enemy, enemy, we don't mean you don't have enemy. We all, I have enemy. But what you have to give up the toward enemy, enemy you have to give up the anger. Right. Anger give up. The anger may cause a problem, not the person causing problem. Mm -hmm. Then the stranger, thinking, no? stranger, you're not stranger always, you know. Stranger can be become a friend, can be become, a, you know, uh, enemy. That, what you have to give up there, give up the ignorance. Right. The, the, the cause is ignorance, attachment, anger. That cause us problem, that cause the world problem, everything problem, causing the main source of the problem is the ignorance, mess up and ignorance. Mm. Someone said the best way to kill an enemy is to make him your friend. <laughs> you <know>? <laughs> <laughs> then he's no longer an enemy. Um, 
So they actually, Rick, do a kind of visualization meditation practice mm -hmm. where they're learning to see these three categories of beings um, colored by anger, colored by attachment, colored by ignorance, to see them all as equal and equal in the sense that they're all human beings on a journey towards awakening mm -hmm. and that we can see them all with love, that when the mind is clear and luminous, then it has compassion for all beings. So that mm -hmm. there's an actual uh, complex meditation practice that they do to uh, cultivate the mind, to purify those kleshas so that it doesn't see things uh, incorrectly, which is how he would define illusion, is that seeing things with the eyes of ignorance. Right. One way you can give up this in the ignorance by thinking, you want happiness, I want happiness, no dependent on that. Right. Uh, or enemy wants happiness, parents want happiness, stranger want happiness. They are no different from me and you and our friend, our enemy, our stranger. They similarly, I don't want to suffer, you don't want to suffer. Then other, our enemy, friend, neutral friend doesn't want to suffer. That case, then we learn, everyone don't want to suffer, therefore I have to give up this the cause of suffering. Mm -hmm. Then another way in Buddhist way, all enemy not necessarily become always your enemy. Enemy can become your best friend. Right. Stranger not necessarily always being your stranger. It can be, become best friend. The <coughs> friend not necessarily always being as a as a friend. Friend can become enemy. Mm -hmm. But this you learn, this are changeable. Therefore, I have to work, live in the world. With peace, with love, just learn how to love all other sentient beings. Mm -hmm. Would you say that this is, uh, we're talking a lot about this, would you say that this is kind of a central, predominant uh, aspect of your practice and your teaching, or have we just kind of stumbled onto one particular aspect and there are many others we could be talking about as well? It can be both. <laughs> Uh, you can be both. You know? Other things come, but actually, it's going to cover everything. You really you are able to look for all sentient beings, like your mother, mm -hmm. like your best friend. Right. And you don't have any problem about anger, about attachment, about you know, ignorance. You love it. Mm -hmm. But that then, then the world becomes peaceful for you. And do, do you find that this has been uh, actually the outcome for most of the people that you are associated with? Have they successfully done this? Or is it sort of an ideal that people are all striving to and achieving to one degree or another? Not, not ideal, it's actually, you, know, you follow this step, you can get achieved there. Okay, good. Ideal, not, 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 not we are not doing like other children would believe in that. Really. Yeah, it's really a, a living experience. Yeah, and, uh, you can experience yourself, think of yourself, for instance, you stay, spend your life with the anger, mm -hmm. no? you, you go to bed, you are not, the bed is not soft. No. And, <laughs> and full of anger, you get the, you know, order the best food, the delicious food, food is not tasty. Right. Uh, you are full of anger, you go to visit your friend, the conversation not, not, uh, not pleasant. Not pleasant. 
Right. What? Because they earn that. Right? You yeah. Go with the law. Now, peaceful mind, go to bed. Although you are soft, bed is not soft, you feel comfortable. You can go sleep very peacefully, cheerfully. Mm -hmm. If you order food, food is not too delicious, but you can feel the taste is delicious. <laughs> you, know? yeah. you, you go to rob the people, their conversation not cheerful, not pleasant, but you feel, oh, wonderful, this thing is meeting these people. Oh, so it makes me really, really happy. Yeah. So, just key holding our own, no, our own, our own self, our, our self holding the keys. Mm -hmm. Make good or make bad. It depends on our own motivation, how we're looking. Yeah, that's always a very important point. I mean, because so many people think that they need to change the outer world in order to be happy, but what you're saying is that what you really need to change is your so, the inner world, you know, the, the, the way you see things, and then, and yeah. then whatever the circumstances, things will be better. Yeah, in in Buddhist case, Buddha didn't have to change the world. No, no he changed himself. In himself, yeah, what he did, he did under the Buddhist teaching, practice the law. Mm -hmm. By practicing law, he reached enlightenment. If he don't practice the law, he tried to change the world, he doesn't have any opportunity to become Buddha. Right. The same, no, we have that, and see, if we try to change the world, well, you cannot change, you know. Mm -hmm. We don't have time. We don't have ability. Just how to change ourselves is very easy. Therefore, one, you know, the Indian master Shantideva said, you know, his illustration said, uh, uh, he said, don't have to cover the world with leather. <laughs> if you don't want to bother, just have a nice shoe. Right, right. It's just you could cover in the world. Good analogy. Yeah. You know, uh, you brought up the Buddha. Speaking of Buddha, I, I meant to uh, ask you at the beginning of this show. You know, I don't know if you caught it, but the name of this show that I do is yeah. is Buddha at the gas pump, and <laughs> the implication of that term is that you know there are peop many people in the world today who are waking up to sort of spiritual realizations that were once considered to be rare and kind of the exclusive province of those of very special beings who you know would only come once in a thousand years or something um, and I meant to say I hope I hope you don't take offense at this term uh, being a, a Buddhist um, I, I actually had one Buddhist email me and say you know Buddha was a god how dare you say Buddha at the gas pump you should stop using that name um, but the whole idea behind the name is just that um, you know Buddha was, as I understand it, a man, and that many men and women to, uh, today are actually beginning to uh, have spiritual awakenings that Buddha would have appreciated, that he would have considered, um, you know, significant. And, you know, and I think some of these awakenings, I think there are degrees of awakening, but many people are experiencing really what Buddha would have called nirvana. Um, and... Uh, and it seems to be permanent and stable for these people. It doesn't. It's not just sort of a momentary thing that they lose. It's uh, it's perpetual. So I just wanted to to say that in case you were wondering about why I called this Buddha the gas pump. That's no problem. It depends up to your and other motivation. Uh -huh. okay. You have pure motivation. You say gas pump. No problem. <laughs> yeah. With that man job, it is the the. Sentient beings, if they sang, 
Yes, harm someone, talk many people like happy, pleasure, that's good, then you're fulfilling without uh, uh, wishes. Yeah. That's not necessary If you say, without you say, stupid, you might get angry, more false. <laughs> you're not going to make without stupid. Well, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> For example, that way, you can talk on that. Yeah. Just fun, fun, there's no problem. It, it depends on the person who is really thinking, how can I make the people to understand the message to get, and also, that's fun. And one thing it really uh, conveys, Rick, is that uh, in the Buddhist world, uh, in all forms of Buddhism, there's the idea that ultimately, we don't want to worship Buddhas. Ultimately, we want to become a be, become the Buddha that we are inherently. Yeah. That idea is that uh, you know, not not so much to be constantly bowing down, bowing down, bowing down, but to ultimately uh, raise ourselves to the level of a of a Buddha, of a living Buddha. And uh, I have to tell you one quick funny joke. Uh, we were doing a teaching recently, and I told this story. Uh, about maybe four years ago, five years ago, just before Christmas, uh, Ken Rinpoche and I were up in northern Maine in a very small little town, and we stopped at a gas pump. <laughs> and it was just before Christmas time, and uh, very snowy because it's northern Maine and very rural, so the gas pump swipe card thing didn't work, and I had to go in to pay. And I looked out. And Rinpoche had gotten out of the car and was washing my windshields huh. for me. And uh, a, a crowd of people grew there. Eight <laughs> or ten people uh, stopped what they were doing to see this very unusual-looking person. Mm. And Ken Rinpoche kind of made a little show out of it. They seemed to be enjoying themselves, so he got playing around with washing the windows. <laughs> after we got in the car and were leaving, he said, uh, Why are they looking? And I said, well, they've never seen anybody that looks like you. Uh -huh. They're all dressed in red. And he said, no, maybe they think it's Santa Claus. <laughs> and I said, no, Santa Claus has long hair and a big, you know, beard. And he said, well, maybe global warming Santa. <laughs> <laughs> Santa Claus is fat, too. Yeah, it was a Buddha of the gas pump. That's funny. So that's I, you should have taken a picture, Dan. I could have used it for my logo thing. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, I had a little trouble finding a Buddha that I could put, fit with a gas pump in order to use the thing. Um, so, in light of what you just said, though, Dana, um, you know, it seems to me, uh, from what little I know of Buddhism, that uh, Buddhas primary motivation or ultimate motivation was to enable people to attain nirvana, you know, to attain liberation. I, I don't, again, I don't know much about Buddhism, so I don't know how much he spoke about, you know, being able to love everyone and becoming a better person and, and you know, culturing moral values and so on, behavioral refinement. But I do know that, you know, nirvana was central to his teaching, that, that people should attain liberation. Um, but I haven't heard you talk about that very much yet, I don't think. So, you know, what is your own experience with regard to that point? And also, you know, your experience with regard to your fellow monks and students. Um, do you find that many people are actually attaining nirvana? I cannot say, but yeah, we, we can, and uh, we, and uh, 
manipulable at a nirvana that case I have to be massive above. <laughs> but I can tell there are yes, there are many people uh, practicing attain many you know, uh, nirvana. Not only nirvana because the enlightenment become with us. And uh, there are many you no know, formats like we could have scholars, you no know, many, many ancient we have the history who reach in uh, one lifetime in enlightenment. Then also in at present we think Jesus and Dalai Lama, you know the real and uh, living without cause, you know, mm -hmm. that and many other scholars we have now, Gareth practitioner, those all. Yes, but I can't, if, if, if any ask me, do you know them really in Latin with them? I don't know, but, but there, yeah, we believe now those are, because we all, we can tell each beings have different level mind and mentality, you know, some very, Works with them, uh, knowledgeable, some little, some practitioner, so, so they're judging physical you know, the activities and uh, their practice. You can tell this person get little higher. Mm -hmm. So that's the way judge, but in, 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 uh, in reality, in Buddhism, not important to someone get in Latin or not, for important ourselves. Change it ourselves, get higher or not. That's the challenge. So, mm -hmm. men, I want to tell you the Buddhist men goal, there are three, three goals. One we call the uh, omniscient, become Buddha. Second, we call the liberation, not to get out from the samsara. The third, we call the uh, freedom, the high status, mm -hmm. mean to escape with the suffering of lower realms. The, the suffering of what? Lower realms. Lower realms. Well, lower realms, to escape the suffering of lower realms, I see. Yeah, like an animal, hungry ghost, hell being just gonna, right. that smaller one. Then you get uh, better, then you can escape the suffering of samsara. Mm -hmm. Okay, so those three goals again were, to omniscience, liberation, and escaping the suffering, essentially. High status, we call the high status. High status. Yeah. That was, uh, yeah. He's, uh, what he's saying here is that uh, when people are first pra practicing, mm -hmm. then their motivation can mostly be that they want to live in the realm of rebirth in a more comfortable way. They're yeah. not really motivated to reach liberation, they just want a more cushy existence. They want to make more money and lower their blood pressure. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> get away from the unseemly parts of life. But then right. they get a clearer vision of what the project is. Then they start thinking, okay, uh, I don't want to take rebirth at all. Whether it's nice or not nice, I would like to reach liberation. You know, enlightenment will bring liberation, and so that's what I want. Mm -hmm. Then at the highest level, from a Mahayana Buddhist perspective, is the practitioner who is trying to reach enlightenment, but not just so they can end their own suffering or transcend rebirth, but for the benefit of all sentient beings, that they're trying to, out of love and compassion, uh, and that, that's for them the highest status of enlightenment, is to not simply know the ultimate truth of being, but to put oneself in a position to help others make that same realization out of love. Yeah, uh, it seems to me it would stand to reason that that 
that sequence would take place because as you move from the sort of individual to the universal, then the, the so-called individual begins to be, become a, a better and better reflector of, of the universal intelligence and to serve its purposes more, you know. And, and ultimately, its purposes are much broader than just <laughs> the individual. You become more of a tool of God, so to speak, or a tool of the divine rather than just a sort of all about me, me, me. Uh, yeah, that's exactly. Right. That's exactly how he sees it. Yeah. So in your experience then, uh, you, you mentioned uh, ancient people throughout history who had attained this. Uh, in your experience though today, uh, do, you, how many, do you know many living people uh, who have you know, gone through these stages that, Dana, that you and Dana just talked about and who, who could be said to be you know, living in a state of liberation and, uh, you know, freedom from samskara. Yeah. Yeah. This, fairly, uh, that, co fairly common in your experience? I, I cannot say my experience. I can say, yeah, very common. That's not. We call it in this way, look at, if you really learn how to live in the world, mm -hmm. The world become for you is as a paradise, as a paradise, right? Paradise. Mm -hmm. If you doesn't know how to live in a in a simple way in a in a in Latin uh, in Latin way, then even there's another paradise. Paradise becomes works of problems. Mm -hmm. Do you feel that um, living like this and having this realization is uh, possible for people who? have children and have jobs and are living very much involved in the world or is it more something for monks? No, 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 for everyone, men, women, monks, nuns, everyone. Mm -hmm. yeah. like one of the, uh, exactly, I cannot translate it, they said one, uh, one, uh, no, verses, so if you know how to practice the spiritual path, you can enlighten even you become a householder. Mm -hmm. If you doesn't know how to you know, uh, practice, then even you spend your entire life in the in the in the cave, you become like uh, the uh, the, the woodchucker. <laughs> yeah. Although you kept you now your head shed and the chains you now the death, then you don't want to see other thing. But you're letting your mind wander all over the world, then useless. Mm -hmm. It's important to help to your mind. Then you, like, then he gives an example who rich in a household, like in Tibetan, called the Marpa, great teacher, Marpa, Rosa, translator. He's a three children father, have wife, but he's become the great teacher in Tibetan, like the he also rich in Latin, because they like Mar Marpa, not mm -hmm. Lama Marpa, and the Indian, others, king, and uh, others, uh, yogis, who are not monks, but they get rich in Latin. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do you think about, uh, uh, in his experience, uh, in, in say, well, not in my experience, what he means there is that if he's going to judge the enlightenment of other people, their level of attainment, he would have to be higher than them to, you know, to, to judge it on the right. basis of personal experience. And so that's what he's mm -hmm. uh, interpreting what you mean by personal experience. Yeah. 
and uh, and you're not making any claims to be higher or to be in any particular state, obviously. And um, <laughs> in fact, I think it would, I would have a hard time getting you to admit to whatever state you are in. <laughs> yeah, good luck, good luck on that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you know, I mean, in a, in a monastery, for instance, when you have students who are doing a lot of meditation and a lot of practice, and some of those students begin to become more advanced um, and begin to have spiritual awakenings, uh, you know, significant shifts in their awareness or in their experience. Do you typically have people in, in a position of authority, perhaps yourself, uh, who is able to, that student is able to come to them and say, hey, I'm experiencing this, you know, what does it mean? Am I enlightened? And then you can sort of say, well, nice, nice start, but you've got more to go. Give some kind of evaluation of their condition. That, yeah, this is correct. You know, the you know, student and the teacher relation is very close. They have this teacher, therefore the student, if he, have, he or she have some experience, share the experience with the teacher. Then the teacher have the qualities, then he or she can you know, tell this is the right or wrong. If something wrong, they can he can he or she can tell it's wrong. If you're good, then you are getting there close to now maybe better improvement needed this and then give more instruction. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um in I don't know about in the Buddhist tradition, but I know in the Indian tradition, uh there has been there have been there's been a lot of trouble in the sense that uh, you know, gurus, you know, who become who, who apparently become very highly enlightened, uh, then either in India or when they come to the West, they you know they start meeting beautiful young women and they start and, and there's a lot of money around and you know very often they begin getting caught up in scandals and problems yeah. and so on and and I don't know what this means perhaps it means that you know their their enlightenment was lopsided it was you know uh, there was a, a one in one dimension very much developed but they had neglected to look at other areas and develop other areas of maturity and of their personality and of their behavioral uh, ethics and so on um, would you care to comment on that whole uh, that whole f phenomena <laughs> Yeah, it's really clearly shows in that they even saying in Latin, but it running after the beautiful uh, young woman and running after the money that shows they're not real in Latin beings. Yeah, or you know, I mean, I, I imagine you acknowledge that there could be stages of enlightenment, and that perhaps one could achieve a certain level of development, and maybe even think that that was the final level, and yet it wasn't. That is not, this world is not that to show this level. Even you reach a level, mm -hmm. you cannot show it doesn't work in the world. You have to be become like a ordinary person. Stage inside, not show outside. Right. Yeah. So you say, let's say, I'm I'm stages reach this one. If you reach like in Latin, you don't have to go there to I reach in Latin to come to me, and that's going to come. But that doesn't help for me. If I don't believe you, you you reach enlightenment. I don't believe you. It's not going to work for me because I don't have the the what they believe, the faith, the told you. Mm. How you are Buddha? Dana, would you clarify that? Yeah, I, I mean, one of the things that he's saying here is that you know the true 
master doesn't seek, he sought, or she sought, that uh, the person who's going out and beating a drum and saying, look how great I am, you know, look at how brilliant my insight is, you really want to come and study with me, uh, that's not the real teacher. The, the real teacher, uh, their own inner being is so well developed that, you know, the stages of development are inside the person, and so uh, people will be drawn to them simply because of that insight. So the person who's trying to call a lot of attention to themselves isn't... Uh, th that itself is inherently a mark of uh, lack of ultimate development. Right. That In other words, people are just going to start to flock around if the person actually has genuine attainment. They're, they're going to start attracting people like moths to a flame or something if, if they've got that genuine uh, realization. Well, well you know, if, if the discernment on the part of the student is good, I don't know if it would be a giant crowd because um, a lot of times what attracts us to gurus are actually weaknesses of theirs instead of strengths. <clears throat> we get enamored of their physical beauty and we think, oh, my teacher is so handsome or, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? What I'm saying is that, yeah. that the real practitioner starts to gain a level of clarity of mind and so they realize, oh, wow, you know, some people might be overlooking this person who is the Buddha at the gas pump. <laughs> <laughs> really? but, it, but it could be a crowd. I mean, the Buddha attracted a fairly large crowd for his day, you know, without any television or radio that he became quite renowned and, and attracted a lot of students just because of his, uh, and I'm sure he wasn't putting up posters, but just because of his uh, status, you know, people yeah. recognized that and began to flock around him. And, uh, in fact, yeah. he didn't even want to teach at first. Yeah. It, it, he, he didn't want to teach, and uh, but, it, you know, yes, they're not mutually exclusive. A great teacher could, could uh, draw a crowd, I guess. The Thing this way, maybe example, maybe if the teacher real true enlightenment, you don't have to advertise. Right. Okay? Let's say the roses. Okay, the roses grow in the mud, and on the on the top of top of pond, they they blooming there, not affected the mud, not affected the pond, but blooming there. Then the rose doesn't have to go up place to place to find the bees. <laughs> Good point. Yeah, the bees come. Notice they they are growing the the not the beautiful roses. smell. so so all direction bees come to get the so his roses smell. Mm -hmm. Similar, the roses also in the teacher who is living in the samsara is like the go in the in the samsara like a the rose is born in the in the mud. Right. Then they the turn like the teacher you can see some kind of top rub, but the now the mind is like the 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 what the, the flowers, the roses. Mm -hmm. That they have to learn. And they, that kinda of comes back to what we were saying a minute ago, which is if a teacher is truly enlightened in the full sense of the word then they're not going to get caught up in scandalous behavior. Exactly. I mean, even if they're in the midst of all kinds of people and all kinds of temptations, those things will be seen with an even eye and they won't uh, feel drawn to indulge in them. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, so you know, there can be some experience of samadhi or there can be some 
level of emotional development, uh, but is it, from the Buddhist perspective, there's the perfection of what are called, uh, well, paramitas means perfection. So when a person has perfected uh, wisdom, prajna, perfected uh, karuna, compassion, and on and on through these six, then that would be their ultimate measure of uh, awakening, full awakening, Buddhahood. I really like that that idea because in the West today, there's a tendency to um, kind of apply McDonald's marketing tactics to the idea of enlightenment. Uh, in other words, a person has, you know, people want things fast and they want things easy and they want things, you know, simple. And so people will have some sort of awakening and they're very quick to assume that that's it. You know, that's what all this fuss about enlightenment has been. I've got it. My search is over. I have nothing yet, I have nothing further to develop. Practices are irrelevant for me. And even for others, nobody needs to follow teachers or gurus. This is all there is to it. I mean, there's a lot of talk like this these days. And uh, to me, to my understanding, that the person is shortchanging themselves and they're misleading others because there's a, a huge range of potential development in so many different facets of, of life. I mean, take one thing alone, compassion. I mean, how, how compassionate can a person become? And it's, it's really, it, does, it <clears throat> doesn't do justice to the term enlightenment to just refer, to, to just attach it to some sort of, you know, inner awakening which could be completely uh, devoid of, of a, a fuller development of one's you know, qualities as, as a human being. I, I, that was much too long of a, a statement. <laughs> I'm starting to do the teaching, and I wanted to, hear, wanted to hear it from you, but, I mean, perhaps you could comment on what, what I just said. You could say it better. <laughs> <laughs> well, I speak English is my native language. <laughs> well, yeah. him, uh, the way he sees it, too, is that, uh, you yeah. know, Confused graduation from elementary school for PhD. <laughs> yeah, right. There's, there's lots of directions the growth could could go in. I mean, what what was your major in college? You know, um, right. But the, the, even inside the Buddhist world, there can be people who are experts on philosophy and people who are experts on art. And uh, human growth has a a wide spectrum of. Uh, areas for development so sort of camp out on you know to confuse the base camp for the summit would be a mistake yeah yeah we've got maybe about so maybe uh 10 more minutes uh, sure something you really would like to ask Henry Pochet or well what? i would add that you'd be not only parts of this the fall teacher okay we have our own responsibility to judge the teacher. The teacher who you follow him had the qualities, what you need or not. Mm-hmm. And the quality you see is that the problem is the teacher problem, not your problems. Hmm. So are, are you saying that if a, that it's really the, the, the student has a responsibility to choose the teacher wisely? Yeah. Uh, yeah. To, to use discrimination. Yeah. You just judge it, the quality they have or not. If you just say, oh, someone say, oh, he's or she's great teacher, right, not good, you know? then you, you listen, then you think, then you go to listen his or her speech, 
then you can slowly you can judge. Then you become a student good. And mm -hmm. then just go there. Then three days you are becoming Latin. Then after <laughs> four days you <they> English. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's what we call it. And that we call it Harry Renunciation. They call it what? Harry, Harry, Harry. Harry. Harry renunciation. Harry renunciation. Why do you call it that? Why oh, in other words, because they haven't shaved their head, so to speak. No, no, they, no. Oh. Really, 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 really cool up, Dana, would you clarify that? <laughs> what are you saying? That makes your hair stand on end, that you get so excited, you know, what we used to call bliss knitting is basically. I see, I see. <laughs> That somebody, it's hairy renunciation, because uh -huh. very excited, and you feel like you're awakened, and you're, you know, uh, premature... Uh, Claim to enlightenment, right. Mature immaculation. <laughs> <laughs> Did you just make that phrase up? Uh, I don't think I did. I don't know where that came you know, from. That's a good one. Some of these things. Premature immaculation, excellent. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if, I don't know if uh, Rinpoche understands the joke, but... <laughs> <laughs> He's enjoying the laughter. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so actually, on this note, I think it's an important one. It would be well worth spending our remaining minutes talking about it. Um, this, this whole notion of discrimination on the spiritual path, um, how important is, has that been on your path and, and in, your, in, in your school and in your tradition to really learn to think critically and, uh, you know, to not merely take things on faith, uh, but to judge teachers and teachings and so on with, with a, a, a clear mind and, and an impartial vision? That's a question. <laughs> You're exactly right that, uh, you know, the, the individual as they grow has to learn how to discriminate what is best for their growth. and and make clear judgments about their teacher and the teachings to the point where um, they'll often debate points of Buddhist philosophy to test each other's understanding. Are you really understanding this or are you mood making? Uh -huh. And so they will have uh, public debates with each other. And uh, Rinpoche, the Geshe degree is, uh, his Geshe degree is in philosophy. So mm. you know, very good understanding of the teachings themselves. Uh, on the intellectual level, also, and our te our teachers themselves um, uh, humble in the sense that they are open to scrutiny and criticism. And you know, if you have a doubt about the teacher, you can tell the teacher, "I have this doubt about you," without getting in trouble and so on. Sure, that that is the very completely open. Mm -hmm. The teacher is very happy if you brought a lot of criticism. So people aren't so in awe of the teacher that they're afraid to say, wait a minute, you did this and I don't understand it and isn't uh, that wrong and so on and so forth. Uh, that's teacher challenge. That makes the teacher happy. No? You uh -huh. have the lot of challenge him no? and he's happy and he has the opportunity to bring out his real knowledge to share with the student. Yeah. We yeah. Have that. In that, here, you can see that if you question, second question, you're in the, in the country here on a being rude, being rude, no, to mm -hmm. make, mm. but our case happened, the more you question come, the more you get the deeper understanding, deeper answer. Yeah. That's good, no, no, so teacher, 
men sitting there because to help the student to get the right knowledge in a without mistaken. Good. Now, do Westerners actually study with you when you come to the United States? Do you have a, a, a circle of students that you know you train and you study with and you teach things to, or or do you mainly just give lectures when you're over here and your your real body of students is back in the monastery in India? I have some here too. Not as a lecturer, it's not just only not lecture, actually giving not spiritual uh, also message how to live in the world with peace, love, compassion. Mm -hmm. change bring to the Astana, you know. So I don't have to consider this in my particular something mine. <laughs> it's uh, just believe that to them. Right. So, so Dana, he, would you clarify? Yeah, so he is, uh, there's a small sangha here in Maine, for instance, that mm -hmm. people take refuge vows. You know, when you become a, a Buddhist in his culture, it isn't, uh, you know, what I call borders Buddhism, where you go to the bookstore and you read three books by Alan Watts, and now you call yourself a Buddhist. Mm -hmm. That in his tradition, you have to take diksha, initiation. And so people uh, formally take uh, refuge vows and bodhisattva vows with him. And he teaches them how to meditate and, uh, um, and has interviews with them about how it's going. And, and, and uh, yeah, and so... He does teach in the United States on both coasts, and uh, then, of course, at least once, usually twice a year, he's back at his monastery where there are hundreds of monks mm -hmm. that are seeing him as, um, you know, the primary teacher in mm -hmm. this particular lineage, which is the same lineage as uh, the Dalai Lama. Right. So if someone listening to this wanted to actually come and study with him, they could do that. They could come to Maine or they could go to the West Coast and, and actually sit in a Sangha and get some instruction like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Why not? Good. So, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, Tashi Lumpo has a website and uh, people could go to that or they could go to the website of a school he started, the Siddhartha School. And those two websites always have information about his... Uh, teaching schedule and when he's in the United States or he's lecturing. And yeah, and I'll put a link to those. You, why don't you send me links to whatever you want me uh, to, uh, you know, link to, and I'll put those on thatgap.com and, and people can go there and, and check it out and, uh, you know, get involved if they want to. And also, of course, you, you know, you are, you have this school in uh, the Siddhartha School, which is in India or Ladakh? Uh, Ladakh in India. In, in Ladakh, I see Ladakh is part of India, right? Yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, that school needs support. So if people uh, want to familiarize themselves with that, and if they feel inspired to donate, they could they could do that. And, and there'll be information on your website on how to do that also. Yeah, then we have both uh, girls and boys, right? Not just in a monk, just only <laughs> boys, girls, nuns. Yeah. <laughs> it's a... Uh, the, the school is uh, quite wonderful in the sense that it is training students in uh, the things that we think of in the West, you know, reading and writing and languages and chemistry and mathematics. Mm -hmm. But it has a real focus on creating a strong sense of uh, respect for their traditional culture and the value of their traditional culture. Mm -hmm. 
uh, and and in a sense as a way of buttressing uh, their confidence to resist the temptations of Westernization that mm -hmm. they can feel proud of their Himalayan culture and they live sustainably and we're not close to that and uh, really a fantastic place you know uh, kind of a little Shangri-La Ladakh they call nice. it little Tibet but hmm. you really get to see in the people's uh, lives what the quality of these teachings can do for an entire community mm. that's great all right well thank you um, this has really been an honor and a pleasure and uh, it's good uh, connecting with you too again Dana if somewhat vicariously and uh, <laughs> so uh, this has been uh, Buddha at the gas pump um, the website to find all this is datgap.com and then there are links to uh, you know the, the videos on Facebook and YouTube and it's also can also be listened to as a podcast um, and we've done nearly 50 of these interviews now and we'll continue to do them so uh, please come check out backgap.com. You can listen to as many of them as you like. So I've, I've been speaking with Ken Rinpoche Geshe Kachan Labsang Setan. Uh, and I, I really appreciate having had the honor. It's really been uh, enjoyable. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm very honored to meet you, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, the honor is mine.